On today's episode of Double O, topics include an underground mine fire and a strange disappearance of a young boy. Join us today for a new episode of Offbeat Oddities. Listeners of Offbeat Oddities, the oddcast about weird stuff. I remember us talking about that last time and I was flabbergasted. No, sorry. I was floored <laughs> that we didn't call this the oddcast. Long story short, there was a moment that I was in the car with Eric and his brother Tyler like years ago. And I was just telling the story. I can't remember what the story was. <laughs> But in the middle of it, I was so like appalled by something that had happened that I said, I was floored. I was floored. <laughs> and Tyler and Eric both just like absolutely lost their minds. Thought it was the funniest thing. So broke the chair. <laughs> Sorry, well, let's keep going. <laughs> no, you're good. Oh gosh. Anyway, welcome back to Offbeat Oddities, Eric and I's podcast. We are now on season three. This is episode three, which means it's our 23rd overall, which is awesome. Just the other day, we hit a thousand listens for the first time, which is Which is Pretty neat. crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So crazy. Eric, Eric and I are approaching on ten dollars because our first like hundred or so listens weren't actually funded yet. Yeah. <laughs> we almost have enough <laughs> for like a large pizza. <laughs> Let's go after a year. It'll fund can, our. Uh, we can afford a small meal. Oh gosh, our podcast commissions. You know, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll provide our dinner beforehand. One time per season. <laughs> Our other nine episodes, we go figure it out. We're eating scraps. All right, what are we talking about today, Ryan? What are we talking about? Uh, we got some good topics, but before we get into it, I have to shout out today's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Charlie Brown's Fantasy Football League, featuring Big Ben and Pig Pen. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's a good one for the. It's, it's coming up on Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, here soon. exactly. This will this will come out a little bit after this, so probably yeah. will be sold. Probably March when this episode comes out. The but, magic yeah. of saving these episodes ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen, but let me tell you what: it's definitely the Steelers. I'm good. They're gonna. They win. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm telling I, you. I think so too. And it's going to give them the the last round draft pick, and they're going to redraft Big Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, Big Ben turned 20 years early, uh, younger, and he still retained the same amount of skill. Magic. Let's go. Oh my gosh. But anyway, getting into today's episode, we got some cool <clears throat> topics for you. My topic is, actually speaking of Pennsylvania, it centers itself in the center-ish of Pennsylvania. I'm going to talk about the Centralia <laughs> Mine Fire. So Centralia is a town, well, it was a town in Pennsylvania. <laughs> it, it technically still is because there's, I think there's five houses still there, but we'll get to it when we get there. The Centralia fire is a mine fire, or rather they call it a coal seam fire, that's actually been burning in abandoned coal mines underneath the borough of Centralia since at least 1962. So these fires have been burning for 60 years now, which is crazy. Its original cause and start date are actually still undetermined, and there's actually kind of not really a debate about them, but there's multiple theories of causes, and there's multiple suggestions of start dates, none of which have actually been truly confirmed. So the fire's burning in the underground coal mines, and some of them are 300 feet underground and still burning, and the whole system is over eight miles long. That's all, and all of it's on fire. 
Like all of it. And it's been for a long time. For 60 years. And still every single like entrance is still giving evidence of smoke, giving evidence of heat and fire and all that kind of stuff. So at its current rate, it's estimated that it will continue to burn for at least another 200, possibly 250 years before everything in there is eventually like used up and there can't be any fire anymore, which is insane. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> Burning for over lot. 300 years total. Uh, it's caused cow. most of Centralia to be abandoned. So by 2017, keep in mind it started in 1962, by 2017, the population had dwindled down to five residents. In 1962, when the fire first started, it was estimated to be about 1,500. So like, yeah, small town, but like now it's a real small town. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, And all except for, I think, three or four buildings have been bulldozed. And the only ones left are the homes of the remaining residents, and I'll talk about why they're still there later. So let's go back to 1962 about potentially what was going on and how this may, the fire may have started. On May 7th of 1962, the Centralia Council met to discuss the approaching Memorial Day and how the town wanted to go about cleaning up their landfill, which was introduced earlier that year. So the town council arranged for cleanup of the strip mine dump, but searching back, the council minutes never described what their pr- proposed procedure was for the actual cleanup. Nonetheless, the Centralia Council picked some date of a cleanup and hired a couple members of the volunteer firefighter company to clean up the landfill. Now, I don't, like, it's just pure coincidence that they picked the firefighting company. Like, so according to Centralia legend, I guess, because this was never recorded or written down, a fire was ignited to clean up the dump on May 27th, and water was used to douse all the visible flames that night. However, flames were seen throughout the dump again two days later, so another attempt was made to douse that fire that night. Uh, supposedly everything was good, and then another week later, more flames started showing up. So like three times now, the fire department has had to come in and sort of like put out the remaining fumes, but they just kind of keep reappearing. So when, when a fire appeared a fourth time, the Centralia Council sent a letter to the Lehigh Valley Coal Company as a formal notice of the fire. And this is where things get murky. Mm. So the, the town council decided that not telling the truth would serve them better. So instead of saying, it was kind of our fault, we lit a fire and couldn't, couldn't really like get rid of it, they stated that a fire of unknown origin during a period of unusually hot weather had started in the landfill. <laughs> Yes, that that mm. was recorded. That was written down, even though it's very, very apparent that that's not true. Mm. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> believe them, hundred percent. Totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so later that summer, on August sixth, there was a meeting between some officials, some council members of Centralia, and the deputy secretary of mines, James Schober. So James Schober uh, was kind of like the middleman between the Lehigh Valley Coal Company, and Centralia. And after kind of discussing everything, Schober basically said, I don't think they're going to go for this. I don't think they believe you that it was like random. Um, And he expected that the cost of either digging out the fire or really, really, really going after it would be about $30,000, which is about $260,000 now. So a fair bit of money. So reasons for possibly how the fire actually started. So the the legend is, is that they started it like in the landfill. However, there's like kind of odd things about it. So that's what this oddcast is for, you know, (laughs) and before anybody's thinking, 
unfortunately, or well, maybe, maybe maybe it was aliens, but aliens are not <laughs> any of the suggested theories. Maybe it was, but there's not any of the suggestions. I'll find a way. I'll suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> Eric will figure it out. Oh my gosh. Okay, so testing a new space laser. That's right. In a random and it just fifteen hundred populated town. And it just happened to hit like a hole in the ground where it went into the mine. Yep. It just so happened to be that perfect. Yep. So <laughs> hypothesis number one is that the mine fire actually started before that May 27th original landfill ign- uh, ignition. There wasn't really a lot of explanation about this. Basically, it was like maybe like something had ignited before in the landfill and it's just like... I don't know. That was kind of their way of like, well, maybe we didn't do it. Maybe we're not the ones responsible. Yeah. They're holding out a little little branch of hope there. Yes. <laughs> they're the, really they're really trying to grasp it. Yeah. There one example of this is The Day the Earth Cave, which is a book by Joan Quigley. And in that book, she argues that the fire, she thinks that the fire had actually started the previous day when a trash hauler dumped hot ash or coal that was discarded from the mines into the open trash pit within the landfill. Hmm. Uh, She noted that borough council minutes from the June meeting, so after this whole issue, referred to two fires at the dump, not just one. So she was like, that's kind of interesting. And apparently, according to her research or whatever, she thinks that a trash hauler dumped hot ash onto the landfill on May 26th. May 27th was the actual like landfill ignition cleanup day. Some people really do dumb things without thinking about it. So that, you know, human error, maybe. Maybe I believe that one a little bit. It makes sense. Yeah. That'd be a really dumb mistake, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, another hypothesis is that the fire was burning long before this dump fire. So according to some other local legend, the, I might mispronounce this, the Bast Colliery Coal Fire of 1932, which was determined to be set by an actual, like an accidental explosion. And supposedly the story, well, not the story, but the suggestion is what if that fire never fully extinguished and it, it continued to burn underground for like 30 or some years and eventually it reached this landfill area. Yeah. So people that think this Bass Colliery coal fire theory is correct basically think, yeah, like kind of like mine fire spread to another mine fire, which happens yeah. not often, but it happens. However, mm-hmm. there is a Centralia resident named Frank Jurgill. Not sure if he's still there or what, but he claims that he was actually in this Bass Collier colliery area between that time and he thinks that can't be right because if he had been working there there would have been noticeable fumes still and because he had worked there so much he thought that he would have been affected by the, the fire underneath it because that's one of the reasons why centralia doesn't exist is because the fumes from the fire are like really dangerous to the area yeah and, and he said he had worked on this other mine for such a long time and never felt any effects so he's kind of like not evident i guess he is evidence that this this isn't quite right those are a couple potential reasons of why maybe it really wasn't the council that started this fire maybe it was one of these two things or 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 whatever (laughs) yeah okay so in 1984 wilkes-barre representative frank harrison proposed legislation which was approved by congress that allocated 40 million dollars for relocation efforts of the residents of Centralia, because at this point they knew that the area was, the air was dangerous because of all the flames and the smoke and the heat and all that kind of stuff. Many of the residents accepted the buyout offers and dispersed far away from the area. 
However, a few families decided to stay and try to fight. So in 1992, Pennsylvania governor at the time, Bob Casey, decided, you know what, enough's enough, and he invoked eminent domain. Cobb so basically, Basie. yeah, yeah. Bob, yep. <laughs> Cobb Basie. <laughs> Cobb Basie. <laughs> yeah, he decided, nah, this is too dangerous. I'm going to invoke eminent domain, which, if you don't know what that is, it's basically. It's a government right to take private property, Seize but property, the, yeah. yeah, but they have to give you the monetary equivalent of it. They mm-hmm. have to. So that, that's kind of part mm-hmm. of it. This kind of went back and forth for a while, for about a decade, until finally in 2002, the U.S. Postal Service officially revoked Centralia zip code, which was 17927 apparently, but that zip code is no longer in existence. So wow. over the course of the next 10 years or so, People started leaving, the homes finally started being taken down, all that kind of stuff, but there were still a few people that wanted to fight this. They were like, no, this is, this is my home, this is my family's area, like, I want to stay here. So mm-hmm. by 2010, there were five homes left, and the people in these five homes were like, I am determined to stay in Centralia. I don't care. The fire is whatever. You can't tell me what to do. Right. <laughs> I don't give a crap. So, And they actually filed a lawsuit. So in this lawsuit, the residents that were still there their charges were they alleged that they were victims of fraud motivated by interest in athracite coal from the government or whatever organization was taking them. Uh, after two years, unfortunately, the residents of Centralia lost their appeal, but fortunately, state and local officials finally decided to compromise with the citizens and they allowed them to stay until they died. But nobody else could take their homes, nobody else could move into Centralia, but those five homes that were like really, really fighting, they decided, okay, you guys can stay, but nobody else can move in, not to your homes, not into Centralia, and once you die, we're, then we get your house and we get your property. And they all, all of them agreed to that. Because if they didn't, then they probably were gonna have to be evicted anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so. <laughs> well, that's like, that's not a problem to them because it's like, why would they care after they die? <laughs> right, yeah, they're, they're gone. They're <laughs> Doesn't matter. I mean, maybe there's like sort of some sort of like family, like land yeah. stake in it, but maybe. so sorry, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if, if you know one of these like five people that lives in Centralia and like you know what's going on, please let, let me know because I'm actually really, be really, really curious. Cool. Like I'm curious on what they think or, or what their, their plans are. Currently, I think, I think there's three or four houses left because it says there's five residents currently, but not five homes. So it could be like a, two couples Couple, and a single yeah. or, or whatever. Um, the last thing is this mine fire at one point extended also beneath the town of Burnsville, B-Y-R-N-E, <laughs> which is hysterical, Burnsville. <laughs> and Burnsville actually had to be totally abandoned and leveled. I'm not sure how, because I didn't, or not sure why, because I didn't exactly find all the research about that because I wanted to focus on Centralia. But the Centralia area is now actually a tourist attraction. So visitors can actually come sort of close to it and see the smoke or steam coming out of specific areas of the ground, which is pretty cool. It's not much, but you can see it. And like Centralia is just like an abandoned town. Like there's empty streets with like evidence of buildings that isn't there anymore. It's, it's really, really cool. Whoa. It's close to an abandoned portion of PA State Route 61, referred to now as the Graffiti Highway because the entire road is like spray painted. And the reason it was abandoned is because this road went really, really close to one of the entrances of the mines. Yeah. And the thought was is that the steam would affect the road and not be able to build it correctly. So they actually made an alternate route around it that was like maybe a quarter mile away just to be a little bit more safer. So this little section of state route 61 is now like you're not allowed to drive on it and everybody just walks on it and spray paint stuff. <laughs> so they call it the graffiti highway. 
as of 2020, there have been local efforts to sort of like fix it up, cover up the graffiti, all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, now there's parts of it that are blocked because several sections of it have just been covered with dirt entirely. So you actually can't see all of it anymore. Yeah. But there is pictures. And maybe for this episode, maybe I'll have uh, my wife, our social media manager, try to find a picture <laughs> of like some of the graffiti. It's actually pretty cool. It reminds me of the abandoned Pennsylvania Turnpike section. Yeah. How it's like the road and the tunnel, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, and, and that sort of thing. So that is the short, not really short, but long kind of story of the Centralia fire. So I actually learned about this. I didn't know about this until I was in college. It was actually an ex-girlfriend that told me about it one time, and she she thought it was interesting. And I, after I read about it, I was like, that's kind of crazy that there's this fire burning yeah. for 60 years in a mine underneath this abandoned town. It's kind of cool. Like yeah. Centralia is technically a ghost town, like an actual ghost town now, which is really, really neat to think about. That is really cool. All right. Before we take a break, we got to discuss Eric's theory. What if <laughs> aliens <laughs> shot a laser into this mine? Hear me out. They didn't know the mine was there. Oh, so it was an accident. It's an alien accident, and this is why they don't want to show their face. They're too embarrassed. That makes sense. Right? Come on. Tell me I'm wrong. Please (laughs) don't. don't. (laughs) Please don't. I say, I don't think I can tell you that you're wrong. I can't tell you that you're right, but I can't tell you that you're wrong. (laughs) All right, and we'll come back after this short break, and we're going to start talking about a mysterious boy disappearing. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Oddcast. We're back. And we got that. You hear that? It's the joke of the... It's the joke of the week. That's all, folks. If you want to say that again, you can, but you don't have to. No, that's fine. We'll keep it in. I'm totally fine with that. But here we go. My wife said I should do lunches to stay in shape. That would be a big step forward. That one just hits me just a little different for some reason. <laughs> That's it's, really funny. It's like kind of funny. It's it's like should barely be funny, but it it really hits me. Well. For for a split second, I thought you said lunches. But then immediately my mind was like, no, that's not right. He had to have said lunges. And then it made the joke much more that's clear. That's a big step. <laughs> it's kind of like the forward. huge metal fan windmill joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge metal, metal fan. fan. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're going to talk about the second topic of this episode. It's the disappearance of the Walter Collins boy. Ooh, what do you got about Ooh. this for us today, Eric? Ooh, it's mysterious. It's odd. We're going to talk about it on the Oddcast. Yep. So, this is about 100 years ago. On March 10th, 1928, nine-year-old boy, Walter Collins, asked his mother, Christine, for a dime and a nickel to go see a movie. 15 cents. Somewhere around there. To see a movie. That is amazing. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows how expensive it actually was? But, he left to go see the movie. He was never seen again. Five months later, the L.A. police told Christine about a child claiming to be Walter in Illinois. This was five months after he disappeared. Some random kid in Illinois claims to be Walter. She's a little um, worried that it's not actually him. 
she's a little pessimistic about it. So she's, you know, claiming and insisting that it wasn't him to the police, but that they were adamant that that it was the real one. So they they forced her into a psychiatric ward for denying these claims and then forced the boy onto her anyway. So, of course, it's not Walter. He Jeez. is an imposter, and he admits that he's, he has not been Walter at all. And at the same time, investigators came across this grisly crime scene on a ranch in Wineville, which is a town outside of L.A. It's 50 miles or so. Okay. There was a man named Gordon Stewart Northcott who had been kidnapping, sexually abusing, and killing young boys with the help of his mother. Oh, Sarah man. Sarah Louise Northcott, which that's just like doing that kind of sick a little bit. Doing that action is bad enough on its own with your mother. The mother oh, part, bro? Like, man. Come on. That's messed up. That's messed up. That's really, that's, that's rough. The police didn't find any physical evidence that linked Northcott to Walter. He ad- like verbally admitted that he was responsible for killing him, but they never found anything that uh, that actually physically linked him to being there and eventually the the mother backed up his claim too hmm. so this is uh you know a little little, little mysterious mysterious we're gonna talk about some of the other things going on right here too little, little mysterio and uh when walter collins vanished um he became one of many a, str- a string of boys who disappeared from the surrounding area uh one month prior a headless child was found in a nearby La Puente. And two months later, young brothers Nelson and Louis Winslow went missing from L.A.'s Pomona neighborhood. So, you know, there's just a bunch of boys kind of disappearing out of here like crazy. This would have been a crazy time to be a mother. I probably wouldn't have wanted to live around here during this time. <laughs> yeah. Because it really doesn't seem like this is just uh, one person doing all of this. This is just a string of... All sorts of things with little boys that, you know, this is kind of scary. Walter's father, who was serving time in Folsom State Prison, thought it was actually a former inmate who kidnapped his son as revenge because part of his job in the facility's cafeteria was to report infractions. So he thinks, you know, somebody got mad about him reporting him to the authorities and uh, he thought that he ordered his son to get kidnapped as revenge. But, uh... Meanwhile, according to Crime Museum, a gas station attendant in Glendale claimed he'd seen a foreign couple with a dead boy in the back of their car. He identified the body as Walter after seeing a photograph of the child. So this, you know, the killer, you know, verbally admitting that he was the one that killed killed the boy is kind of interesting considering there are just many, many people thinking... Walter is all over the place. Yeah, really. Because that, I forget, I think that prison isn't, that that's not close to where they were at, and the ranch was another spot, and then hmm. this random, random gas station in Glendale, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, if you kill somebody, put somebody in, in the back of your car. <laughs> I don't think you'd put them out in the open for everyone to see as you're getting gas and trying to get away. <laughs> like that just seems like a really dumb idea. <laughs> oh, don't mind me, you just filling up my tank. <laughs> Dead body in your back. <laughs> Man, gas is cheap these days, huh? 
Don't mind my don't mind this random kid in the back of my car that's dead. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, I I kind of thought it was interesting the the police tried to just randomly push a boy on Christine, like the mother at that point. That's just like I I mean I could see that probably the police was trying to save face at that point, but that's also yeah. such a bizarre thing to convince a kid to do that too. I mean I don't even know what they did or where the kid was from or what. Yeah, what all is but going on? But that is on actually that? like how is that even like possible in the first place? Yeah, how did what was the kid this agreeing kid, to? He, this kid is not smart enough at this point to like be like, hey, I'm that kid on the news. <laughs> yeah, he probably didn't even know who this kid was. Right. Like, not even in the same state. Yeah. So like, there's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So just, what was what was in it for the police? What was in it for this kid? That's just that's all yeah, weird. Yeah. The only reason I see the police involved in it like that is just to save face. You know, to say like, put a rest to the case. Like, we found we found the boy. You know, keep it quiet. But yeah, I mean that <laughs> the, the family though, it's a family situation going on there. It's just something else. <laughs> yeah. That is freaky. Yeah. Don't ever want to deal with that. And I'm glad I've been blessed with a wonderful family. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't support me in killing young boys. <laughs> Honestly, if, like, if I had some like sick desire like that, I would not want my family to support me. I'd want them to throw me, like, throw me in jail. Teach me a lesson. <laughs> Jeez, dude. Oh, man. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, I'm just reading more on this. It said that uh, while Christine, the mother, was waiting for any information on the son's fate, you know, uh, it arrived unexpectedly halfway across the country. Police picked up boy in DeKalb, Illinois. Hmm. So uh, they sent photos, and she—that's why she wasn't convinced. They were like, they talked her into trying out the child. That's a funny way to put. That's a funny way to put that. Wow. <laughs> that's good. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. sick, but I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> My goodness, yeah, this is bizarre. This is pretty there, pretty dark, but there you is know. definitely some hush money involved in that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, the whole like uh, you're crazy. The ga- the gaslighting going on there. Right oh, now. big time. You're crazy. That's your kid. That's your kid. No, you're big crazy. Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your kid. That's that's Walter or whatever his name is. But yeah, this is more about the uh, chicken coop murders, which is the 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 the, act, the family that was probably the most likely to have killed him or you know been responsible for anything okay uh this is this is more about that case it started in 1926 gordon stewart northcott began abducting male children and raping them on his ranch in wineville and bludgeoning them to death with an axe wow he <laughs> he later claimed that he abused the young boys because he loved them. Oh, <laughs> of course. That's, oh, yeah. that's every abuser's defense. Why? It was because I loved them. <laughs> because I love you. Yeah, no. No, it's because you're screwed up. <laughs> like so weird. He was only caught in September when his cousin contacted the authorities and told him told them that Northcott had kidnapped her teenage brother and was abusing him. Mm. So it wasn't even. Just outside the family either. Wow. Okay. Lots of scary stuff here for sure. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Dude, that's all all over the place. But Yeah. We don't really know what happened to Walter. We're gonna bring this up on a lighter note. But let's just talk about the fact that he got sent away with a nickel and a dime to go see a movie. That's crazy. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you get anything for fifteen cents anymore? Anything? No. Like you can't even get a drop of gum for fifteen cents. Oh my changed. gosh! <laughs> a nickel and a dime. That's probably like 
like an hour's or not. That's probably like an hour's worth of work to his mom at that time. Like she probably made fifteen cents mm-hmm. an hour. Oh, here you go, go see a movie. Wow, that is insane. What year did you say this was? Nineteen twenty. Nineteen twenty-eight. Eight. And that's ninety-five years ago. And you know that's a significant difference. You know, I I forgot to explain another possible explanation on how this boy disappeared and never showed up again. Well, why wasn't there any physical evidence at the ranch that Walter was there, man? Maybe because uh, aliens abducted him and then mind-controlled those people <laughs> into telling the authorities that they were responsible for the kid, even though the aliens took them because they wanted to keep the police off the tracks. Let me tell you what. I believe it. I don't know about you. I believe it. Aliens are responsible aliens. for everything. <laughs> everything. They're the ones that told the police officers, yeah, just tell this, tell this woman that this is her kid. Here, let's synthetically create this child and send it to the mother. <laughs> send it to the mother. <laughs> oh, man. That's weird. That whole story is just weird, man. That's scary. Yeah, that's a weird one. Oh, my gosh. For sure. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up today's episode. I apologize for the little bit more length of it, but hopefully you enjoyed our content either way, talking about Centralia and Walter Collins. Join us again next week on Monday for the next episode of Offbeat Oddities, the oddcast about weird stuff. And as always, I'll let Eric sign us off with... Remember, stay weird.